Good to see you. Can I uh, have you open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 1? Hopefully that'll be the last time I say those words. <laughs> Hopefully we'll finish chapter 1 tonight. But right now, we just need to remind everybody, especially any new folks who are watching online or here tonight, that we are in Romans. We are currently in chapter 1. Where we have been looking at the first main section of the book, which runs from chapter 1, verse 18, to, through chapter 3, verse 20. In this first main section, it falls under the heading of condemnation, because in it, Paul wants to prove that the whole world apart from Christ is condemned. So let's look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Let's stop there. The phrase, the lusts of their heart, works its way out in the statement to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And here, as we said last week, Paul has sexual sin in mind. Let me review quickly because we ran out of time. So let me back up and review a little bit so we can pick up our study. But uh, our society is absolutely obsessed with sex and the human body. It's everywhere. It's in advertisements, the movies, TV shows, music videos, magazines, and especially on the internet with regard to internet pornography. But advertisers are constantly bombarding us with sexual stimuli, and that's designed to arouse a strong desire, usually a sexually motivated desire for their product. And it's become a cultural norm to sell products using sex. I think that the hypersexualization of our society is due in no small part to what some have called the playboy philosophy that has permeated our society. Now, we talked about this briefly last week, but again, we ran out of time. Let me review. Hugh Hefner, who founded Playboy, said, We get so upset about sex. It's only a bi biological necessity like eating, drinking, and sleeping. Well, that attitude is nothing new. It comes right out of Greco-Roman paganism. As we said last time, the attitude in the first century Greco-Roman world was that they looked at sex the same way they looked at, you know, eating, drinking, sleeping. It was just another biological function to be satisfied without any moral implications whatsoever. But you see, the inevitable consequence of that kind of thinking, that kind of philosophy is that, first of all, you dehumanize women. Women made in the image of God. Women who are somebody's daughter, sister. Um, it's a very demonic thing when we dehumanize people. And, 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 and we don't even think of them as people anymore. And that's what this philosophy does. It dehumanizes women. And then when you couple with pornography, they are turned into mere objects for sexual gratification. And when that happens, you come up with, with an equation that, first of all, equals violent crimes against women. Rape is always at the top or near the top of violent crimes in America. And secondly, the Playboy philosophy, again, coupled with pornography, is a formula for the breakdown of marriage and ultimately for the breakdown of the family. Adultery, whether it's actual or even mental, destroys marriages and families, and as the family goes, so goes society. God knows that the health of a nation depends on the health of the family unit within that nation, and the health of the family unit depends on the health of the marriage within that unit. 
and the health of the marriage depends on a monogamous relationship between a husband and a wife. When we think of monogamy, which means, of course, being married to one person at a time, uh, we think of the biblical view of marriage as ordained by God. One man and one woman married for life. Now, we have to be a little more specific nowadays. So we have to say one genetic male and one genetic female married together for life, right? Um, until, of course, death separates them from each other. And the marriage covenant at that point is rendered null and void, at which time the surviving spouse is free to marry again. Within marriage, God requires physical and ideally mental fidelity on the part of both husband and wife to each other. That's why pornography is so heinous. It does in the heart what doesn't have to be necessarily done physically. And that causes people to think, well, it's not so bad. I'm not actually doing the act. I'm not technically committing adultery on my spouse. But all sin begins in the heart. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 27 and 8, if you look at a woman to lust after her in your heart in the eyes of God, you've already committed adultery with her. And that same thing goes to the ladies. Job said something. I think you ought to hear comes out of Job chapter 31. He said, If my heart has been seduced by a woman, or if I have lusted for my neighbor's wife, then let my wife serve another man. For lust is a, is a shameful sin, a crime that should be punished. It is a fire that burns all the way to hell. It would wipe out everything I own. For most of the years of our nation's history, adultery was looked down upon. It was always around, obviously, but it was never really socially acceptable. And it was looked down upon because uh, uh, of our strong Judeo-Christian uh, Judeo heritage, uh, which caused us to look at marriage as sacred. Not to mention, of course, that God has always forbidden sex outside of marriage, adulteries. God's always forbidden. We'll talk about that more in a second. But as our country has moved farther and farther away from God, well, so have our values, which has opened the door to a, a kind of a plethora of new sexual practices like polyamory. Polyamory. Polyamory comes from the Greek poly, meaning many, and the Latin amour, which is the word for love, so polyamory refers to the practice of or desire for intimate relationships with more than one partner with the consent of all partners involved. One author put it this way. What is polyamory? In short, polyamory is the act of having intimate relationships with more than one person at the same time. A polyamorous person might have or might be open to having multiple romantic partners. Polygamy, on the other hand, involves being married to multiple partners. For many Christians, polyamory seems so extreme and rare that it's, there's no need to even talk about it, uh, you know, because it's just so rare. But, as the author says, it's more common than you think, and it's growing in popularity. According to one estimate, as many as 5% of Americans are currently in relationships involving consensual non-monogamy, which is about the same percentage of those who identify as LGBTQ. A recent study published in a peer-reviewed journal found that 20%, that's a big number, 20% of Americans have been in a consensual non-monogamous relationship at least once in their life. Another survey showed that nearly 70% of non-religious Americans between the ages of 24 and 35 believe that polyamory is okay, even if it's not their own particular cup of tea. And perhaps most shocking of all, according to sociologist Mark Regeneris in his book Cheap Sex, said roughly 24% of church-going people believe that consensual polyamorous relationships are morally permissible, end quote. The article went on to say, pastors, get ready. You're going to be dealing with this because it's becoming more and more popular. 
Now, all of this sexual freedom comes at a price, obviously, which is the spread of STDs like, you know, gonorrhea, syphilis, AIDS, uh, not to mention broken marriages and families through divorce. This is such a vitally important truth with such far-reaching consequences that the commandment forbidding adultery made number seven on God's top ten list of prohibitions. Thou shalt not commit adultery, period. In fact, to underscore the importance of this commandment, he made it a capital offense in Leviticus chapters 18 and 20 for violating it. You see, God knew the consequences the playboy philosophy would have on society. As Paul mentioned, when fallen sinners reject God and his laws to do perverted sexual things, he tells us that at one point God will give them up. Go for it. You don't want my word? You don't want my rules? My commandments, which are not designed to keep you from having fun, but to give you the best life possible? But if you don't want me or my commandments, I'm going to give you up to your vile passions. Paul says God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their heart, verse 24, right? And we said last time the Greek word for lust there is a word that means a driving, passionate, destructive desire for forbidden pleasure. Look, whenever people reject God's design for human sexuality, <laughs> two genders consisting of one biological male and one biological female, um, well, whenever people reject that, sexual identities and sexual practices quickly deteriorate into confusion, chaos, and gross perversion. Now, wanting to sum up the topic, as the Greco-Roman world was a mess, sexually speaking, immoral beyond words, and Paul doesn't want to get into all the examples, so in wanting to kind of sum up the topic in a concise way, Paul picks the worst, the most disgusting, degrading sexual practice he can think of to key in on, homosexuality. Many believe, and you'd be shocked at how many professing churchgoers or Christians fall into this camp, many believe that just as God made some people right-handed and some people left-handed, he made some people heterosexual and other people homosexual. I've heard this. But if that's true, then why does God condemn homosexuality in both the Old and New Testaments? It's because it's not a part of God's creation, but is a perversion of his, his divine order. It's the result of what happens when people willingly reject God's rules, his order to do whatever is right in their own eyes. That's a breakdown of, well, a Christian society. This was the same philosophy in the book of Judges, one of the blackest periods in Israel's history. There was no king in Israel. Therefore, every man did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. We are back at that time. Again, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women, and again I have to say it, forgive me, even their genetic females exchange the natural use of what is against nature, likewise also the men, genetic males, leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. The Greek is a very strong term. It's to be burned up completely, completely destroyed. In other words, they were incinerated by their lust, leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful. That's a very interesting Greek word. It's the word we get our word schematic from. Schematic. A schematic, the dictionary defines uh, as relating to or forming a scheme, plan, or diagram. A lot of you folks have seen a wire schematic or electrical schematic. It's a picture of what the wiring is connected to a certain piece of technology. Or if you're wiring your house a certain way or putting maybe uh, an alarm system in, 
you get it all set up then the, you read the, the instructions containing a schematic to tell you how everything is wired to make it work properly. That's what the Greek is saying here. God's schematic for his creation is for a male and a female to come together for marriage and procreation. However, once you deny the existence of the creator, you then deny there is design. And once you get rid of the schematic or God's design, anything goes. Guys, God said that homosexuality is against his schematic. It goes against his design. He didn't wire us that way. And it's a perversion of his divine order. Again, verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, listen, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. The idea here is that seeking fulfillment and expecting a blessed outcome for their practice of homosexuality, they received just the opposite. Instead of blessing, they received judgment. As God let them reap the, reap the penalty for exchanging what was natural, heterosexuality, for perverted, unnatural, deviant sexual practices instead. Sin has consequences built into it. That's why God tells us not to sin. Because he wants to bless our lives. He wants us to have a blessed, fulfilled life. This doesn't mean it's going to always be an easy life. But the best life we can possibly have that will yield the greatest rewards in heaven we can possibly imagine. Well, when people say to God, I don't want your way. I, I don't even believe in you. I'm going to be the God of my life. I'm going to decide what's right and wrong. I'm going to do my own thing. If by doing your own thing, you're violating God's laws, you're going to reap the consequences. And don't blame God. Because he wanted to keep you from that. Those consequences and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. In Washington, D.C., the Family Research Council, talking with psychologists and other experts, and including 5,200 obituaries and 16 homosexual newspapers of homosexual deaths over a five-year period of time, came to this conclusion. The average age of homosexual men dying of AIDS is 39 years old. The average age of homosexuals dying of all causes is 41. 1% of homosexuals live to be 65 or older. Only 3% live past 55. Homosexual men are three times more likely than the general population to have alcohol and or drug abuse problems. 14 times more likely to have syphilis. 23 times more likely to contract, contract a venereal disease, a thousand times more likely to contract AIDS. Lesbians are 19 times more likely than heterosexual women to have syphilis, two times more likely to suffer from genital warts. In San Francisco, one of the most openly gay cities in America, versus the, natural, uh, the uh, national average, homosexuals have twice the rate of infectious hepatitis A, three times the rate of infectious hepatitis B, and 22 times the rate of venereal disease. The chance of homosexuals dying at the hands of other homosexuals, listen, is 50 times higher than the general population. And for suicide, it's 60 times higher. The point is that calling this lifestyle gay is one of the cruelest jokes imaginable. It's not gay, but I'll tell you what it is. Militant. It's militant. Just like it was in Sodom and Gomorrah right before they were destroyed, right? It was out in the streets. When Lot brought, Lot brought the strangers into his house, which we know were two angels, but the men of Sodom didn't know that. 
They just saw men they had never seen before. And they came out in numbers, both old and young. And they demanded that Lot send out these two men that they might rape them. C.S. Lewis did an interesting study years ago. He studied um, nations and empires. You know, those that reached an apex and then began to decline. And he discovered that the last stage before a nation or an empire finally crumbles into oblivion is blatant, in-your-face, militant homosexuality. That's where we are. In an article that came out just last week, the author had this to say on the subject. He said, and I quote, Today all things corrupt and unholy are celebrated with the entire month of June officially set aside as Pride Month. Now maybe you caught this. Uh, Trans Admiral Rachel Levine said one month is not enough and declared this the summer of Pride. Anyways, most people recognize the month of June as Pride Month. They do it to honor and publicly flaunt immoral perverted sexual, uh, sexual behaviors widely practiced in the ancient biblical cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. At the same time, everything good, decent, and wholesome and moral is for some strange reason now demonized. For example, straight white men holding to conservative Christian values are routinely condemned by powerful leftist political leaders, utterly without evidence, as white supremacists, violent extremists, and domestic terrorists. And, of course, the patriarchy has been vilified by large parts of the left-wing feminist movement uh, for decades, an attack on men that continues into the present day. Likewise, children have become front and center targets of the revolutionary left's trans transformational agenda. Early sexualization, considered a heinous crime in previous eras, is widespread in the increasingly toxic public government school system. In another article that came out a few days ago, the author said, and I quote, the LGBT activists at the annual drag march on Friday in New York City shouted a troubling message regarding children across the nation. As Pride Month comes to a close, the participants marked through Tompkins Square Park in the East Village uh, video footage shows the flamboyantly dressed crowd moving through the area and a woman among the group appeared to be topless. Here's what they were chanting. We're here. We're queer. We're coming for your children. In July of 2021, Breitbart News reported the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus music video uh, where, where singers promised to convert children to their LGBT ideology. Lyrics to the song went like this, uh, part of it. You think we're sinful. You fight against our rights. You say we all lead lives you, lead lives you can't respect, but you're just frightened. You think we'll, that will corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked. It's funny, just this once you are correct. And so guys, the conservative right, and especially the Christian church, is experiencing, experiencing cultural warfare on a level that we have never seen before. It's actually spiritual warfare. We know that as evangelical Christians. Now listen, at this point, we need to remember the words of Paul the Apostle. Because it's easy to start hating people. And I don't believe that's what Jesus wants for many of us. And so the words of Paul the Apostle become very important for us to remember at this point. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 12. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Are we fighting against the gay community? No. They've been taken captive by Satan to do as well. Is homosexuality the unpardonable sin? No. Is homosexuality a worse sin than any other sins? No. Is a homosexual less human than the rest of us? No. 
They're no different from any other sinner who's reaching out for something, yes, that goes against God's will, but something they are convinced is going to bring them some level of fulfillment and happiness. It's all the lies of the devil. Anytime we go against what God has said in the quest for personal fulfillment, whatever we buy into that's not in God's word, we are falling prey to the devil's lies. Guys, it's our relationship, it's our, I'm sorry, it's our responsibility not to condemn the gay community, but to reach out to these people with the love of Christ. Something Christians, I think, have failed to do for the most part. You say, well, how do I do that? You start by praying. Start by praying. And ask God to open the door somehow. And see what he's going to do. I have seen gay people because a Christian started showing them love because they think we're all haters. They think we, we hate them. And because they think we hate them, they hate us. They're not the enemy. Homosexuality, again, is not the unforgivable <clears throat> sin. So may God give us grace. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to tell you what to do to reach out to the gay community. Start with prayer. Let's see what God will do. But I know this. God loved the gay community, and Jesus died for them so that they can be saved and become children of God just like us. Guys, the bottom line is there is a right way to live, and there is a wrong way to live. There is God's way, and there is the devil's way. And ultimately, it's up to each of us to decide which way we're going to live. Turn to Deuteronomy 30. I'm going to read this to you out of the NLT. Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 to 20. Moses is addressing the children of Israel right before Joshua is going to lead them into the promised land. One final teaching, discourse, exhortation. So Moses is speaking. He said in verse 15, Now listen, today I am giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants may live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For many years, America heeded that warning. And we as a nation walked in God's light. We were not a perfect nation, but our founding fathers, most of them had a heart for God. And they built this nation on Christian principles and values. And for many years, living according to God's word and principles and values benefited this country greatly. Somewhere along the line, though, we began to think that we didn't need God. We were pretty strong. By the way, that's exactly what Israel began to think. Because their prosperity and their victory was so great that they began to think it was their strength, their ingenuity. America thinks because of our capitalistic system, we're wealthy. Because of our military, we're strong. And if we don't repent as a nation quickly, God's about to teach us otherwise. Now, verse 28. Many people just will not bow the knee to Jesus. They will continue to live in obstinance and rebellion. 
Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. The Greek word could be translated a depraved mind. Guys, understand that a depraved mind is a mind that can no longer think and reason the way God designed it to be able to think and reason. It can't form right judgments because it is so skewed and warped by sin. A depraved mind is more than just a sinful mind, which Paul spoke of earlier. A depraved mind is what happens when sin is tolerated, justified, and celebrated in a person's mind over a long period of time. It's the accumulated effect of going down the path of sinful lust and moral impurity and eventually results in a mind that is so depraved that it begins to think that evil is good and good is evil. Remember what God said through the prophet Isaiah. I'll just read it to you, Isaiah 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. When you read in the Bible, woe, if God begins a pronouncement with the word woe, it's his way of saying judgment is near. When a nation gets to these things, and this is not the only one, you can read chapter 5, because I think six or seven times God says, woe, because you're doing this. Well, it indicated that the nation had become so wicked, so depraved, that judgment was looming. I like what this author said. He said, our rebellion against God is not only displayed in our actions, but in our thinking. We, and I'm just saying America, we are genuinely spiritually insane in our rebellion against God. Can anybody in this room say, as you watch the news, you don't think that people are insane today? Uh, the things I see people doing, and my feeling has always been this. Look, if a guy wants to think of himself as a woman, wants to dress as a woman, that's up to him. Okay? Don't drag me into it, but if that's what you want to do, you go for it. But when society says, oh, but that's not good enough, they, they think there are women can go into the women's locker room and change, and the women have to change in front of a genetic uh, biological man, or they can compete in female sports and destroy the ladies because they're not as strong as a man is. Where does a six-foot-four guy like Leah Thomas, how does he look himself in the mirror? Where is your dignity? And not to mention the fact these women have worked hard to get where they're at. These are top-level women's, you know, they're champions. And they're in line for college scholarships. But these men are knocking them out. You know what? It's insane. I've never seen any like it in my life. And it tells me we're getting very near to Jesus' return. That's all I can say. Again, Romans 8, uh, 1, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind, a depraved mind, to do those things which are not fitting. The Greek word means proper, normal. Of course, who decides what's normal? God. God gives them over to do the things which are not fitting. The question is, not fitting for who? The answer, not fitting for those who have been made in the image of God. Someone said, and I'm quoting, According to Psalm 8, man is, uh, man is made a little lower than the angels, which means that man is in a, in a position somewhere between the angels above and the animals below. It has always been man's prerogative to either move upward towards the angels and ultimately God, or downward towards the animals. But let me remind you that Psalm 8 says that we have been made a little lower than the angels, rather than made somewhat higher than the animals. In other words, we are to look heavenward, not earthward, to find our true identity and purpose in life, end quote. Yeah, that seems rational and logical, right? And yet man seems determined to look to the animal kingdom to find his identity and practice in life. Years ago, a story appeared in Newsweek magazine 
accompanied by a picture of a baboon killing an infant baboon. And over it, the headline read, Biologists say that say infanticide is as normal as the sex drive and that most animals, including man, practice it. Folks, the title says it all. The logic goes like this. Man is an animal. Animals kill their offspring. Therefore, it's perfectly normal that human beings kill their offspring, justifying abortion and infanticide, right? Now, folks, these are the reasonings of a depraved mind. Let's read verses 28 to 31, and I'm going to try to give you the Greek just quickly of each of these words, just so you have a working knowledge, all right? So verse 28, And even as though they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, normal, you know, and so on. Verse 29, Being filled with all unrighteousness, the Greek is injustice, Sexual immorality, the word means fornication, adultery, homosexuality, uh, and other forms of illicit sex, wickedness, act of evil, covetousness, greed, the incessant desire for more, maliciousness, the desire for harm on others, venomous hatred, full of envy, jealousy of others, murder, premeditated and unlawful killing of another, either in anger or in the commission of some other crime. Strife, wrangling, quarreling, contentiousness. Deceit, a word that means trickery, treachery, intrigue. Evil-mindedness, a word that means ill will, spite, hostility, bitterness. They are whisperers, secret slanderers, gossips. They're backbiters, open slanderers, those who badmouth others. Haters of God could also mean haters of God, or excuse me, hateful to God. So it's not just that they hate God in their heart. They actively work to do things to demonstrate their hatred for God. They're violent, which means despiteful, insulting. They're proud, haughty, arrogant. They're boasters, braggarts, self-paraders. I like that. Always throwing a parade for themselves. Or they're out in front leading the way. Always wanting people to throw roses at them because they're so wonderful, right? They're such narcissists, a lot of these folks. Inventors of evil things, a word that means devisers of mischief and new forms of wickedness. Disobedient to parents, rebellious to parental authority. Undiscerning, lacking moral and spiritual discernment without conscience. Untrustworthy, in other words, they're breaking promises, treaties, agreements and contracts whenever it serves their purposes. Unloving, acting in total disregard of natural ties and the obligations that go with them. Well, of course, abortion and infanticide would definitely lead that list, right? Unforgiving, irreconcilable or implacable, unmerciful, cruel, vindictive, without pity. This is the sick legacy of a world that has rejected God and his righteous standards. Now man thinks, fallen man thinks, that he can violate uh, God's commands with impunity. Here's what Paul the Apostle said in Galatians 6, verses 7 into verse 8. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. People, whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, hell, judgment. All these people parading around, shaking their little wicked fists in the face of God as if they're getting away with something, they have no idea. They have no idea what's coming. God is patient and long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But don't, don't confuse the patience of God and the long-suffering of God for approval or that God doesn't care. Oh, he absolutely cares. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. Or as Hosea put it, if you sow the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. You know, Theodore Epp, who was a pastor, radio evangelist, and founding director of the Back to the Bible radio uh, broadcast 
had this to say on the subject. He said, and I quote, When God gives a person over to a reprobate mind, his mind is like an abandoned building, which soon becomes the home of rats and other rodents. A reprobate mind is one which is unfit to distinguish between right and wrong. It is a mind that is warped with regard to moral judgments. End quote. And guys, the sad result is all the sins, well, mentioned in verses 29 to 31, the sad result of all this turning away from God and doing man's own thing and God giving them up to vile passions, the sad result is all the sins that we live with in our society on a daily basis. Sins against God, manifesting in crimes against our fellow man, things that have become so commonplace that we no longer, that we are no longer shocked by them and have become for the most part desensitized and jaded to them. Isn't that so? We're so used to seeing the crime, the violence in the news that it takes something really horrendous to even evoke a, an emotion. That's a society that's becoming, just because of the amount of evil, is becoming desensitized to it. You know what will resensitize you? The Word of God. Spend more time in the Word of God than you do watching the news. Now, I have confessed this to you guys before, but there was a time when I would get up early in the morning, open my Bible, read for an hour or two. Get a cup of coffee, that was my morning routine. And I forgot what happened in the world, but something big, heavy was coming down. So I, I started to get up reading the news, first thing. Sometimes I, never, I even got to my morning Bible study or Bible devotions. This went on for a while, and it began to take its a toll on me. You start your day with the Word of God, there's a peace that fills your heart. There is a hope. There is a stability. You start your day reading the news, it's all wicked and bad and violence and hopeless and whatever. I found myself getting very angry first thing in the morning. And the Lord spoke to me one day and said, Phil, get back to what you were doing. Start your day with my word. And so by God's grace, that's what I did. And, I, and I've done that to this day. There's something about starting my day with God's word that sets me up, strengthens me for the day. And the more you fill yourself with God's word, the more sensitive you become to people's suffering. You're not jaded. You're not hard. You're not desensitized. It has a way of softening your heart once again. Because God's heart is for people. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God's heart is for us. Let's finish verse 32 who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Here, guys, is where the evil, rebellious heart of man reaches a crescendo. It not only practices the things God has forbidden, as the old saying goes, misery loves company, so it encourages others to participate in these evil practices. And when people do, they are applauded and um, welcomed into the fold. I think of these gay pride parades, which I never watch, but I see clips on the news. And you have the people that are parading, many of them naked. Was it San Francisco? They had a, a or Seattle or something like that? Seattle? They had some kind of a gay bike thing, and they were all naked. The kids are on the sidelines. Everyone's cheering. Well, sure, look at me. I'm not judgmental. I'm not intolerant. See, I, I even bring my children to watch these perverts. Do that. What a good parent I am. No, what a deceived parent you are. You are turning your children, whom God has given to you to raise, protect, and teach. You are giving your children over to the devil. Why any parent would allow their child, little kid, 
to watch uh, a drag queen story hour or something else. They come into the schools and they do their little performance dancing around with hardly anything on right in front of the kids. That's how they get excited, these perverts. And again, I want to see them saved. I'm just calling it for what it is. It's perverted. It's against God, against God's natural design, his schematic. It's sick, it's perverted, it shouldn't be celebrated, it should be pitied and prayed for, and all these other things I want to see these folks saved. It's not just them. Because Paul said, look, there's a lot of things that people would never do personally, but they enjoy watching others do them, right? So, you know, many people would never think of picking up a gun and killing a bunch of people, but they kind of like it when Arnold Schwarzenegger does it. Now, I'm going to confess something again, okay? I've never really had a problem with violence on, in a movie, as long as the good guys are killing the bad guys. Until I watched the movie, I think they've made three of them now, with Keanu Reeves, John Wick, And I watched this, this first one, and I don't think I even finished it. It was just nonstop killing from start to finish. Now, you know, I, I thought, Lord, I, this is not right. I shouldn't be watching this. This is violence for violence' sake. I wouldn't do this, but I'm enjoying, my flesh is enjoying watching this guy wipe out all the bad guys. Of course, he was one of the bad guys, no way. He was a hitman, okay? He wasn't a virtuous person. Anyways, sorry I got off on that. Um, I'm just being honest with you. Sometimes, you know, God uses things, and it's like, whoa, what am I doing? What am I doing? Um, along those lines, that many people will actually never get involved in adult, physical adultery. But they love to watch others who engage in explicit acts of sexual immorality in, in movies or on cable. The world eats this up. For the world, this is their thing. And Paul said that these are deserving of death. They're deserving of the penalty, which is their due for going against God's design and doing perverted things he has said not to do. Again, sexual perversion is the context. One author said, they know this is God's verdict. Man in his heart of hearts knows. There's a day of reckoning coming. Oh, they can try to push down on God. You know, they suppress the knowledge of God in their desire to live unrighteously. We get that. But they wouldn't have to suppress it. The word is to push down, to fight against, to bury it, if they didn't believe something was to that. That there is a judgment coming. They know this is God's verdict, however much they seek to rationalize or legalize these sins. But this is, does not deter them from indulging in these forms of ungodliness. In fact, they unite with others to promote them and feel a sense of camaraderie with their partners in sin. Two scriptures will close. First of all, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, let's start with verse 11. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles or unbelievers. Turn over to chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. See, because of their wicked desires for pleasure God gave them over to a debased mind remember we talked about spiritual warfare starts in the mind with the way you think this is exactly what we're saying so the Bible says look don't have a debased mind have the mind of Christ arm yourself with the same mind as Jesus had for he who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime, you know, before we got saved, 
in doing the will of the Gentiles or unbelievers. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, the world thinks it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. They think we're weird. You don't party? You don't drink anymore? You're, you're weird. Yeah, the Bible says I'm peculiar <laughs> compared to you. I'm normal in God's kingdom, but it's okay. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Someday the party's going to be over. This is the summer of pride. Well, that's going to give way at one point to the judgment of eternity. And I don't want to see him when we go to hell. So let's pray. Let's be a light by the way we live and talk. And if God uses it to open a door to witness to somebody, do it with kindness, humility, and love. Again, they've been taken captive by the devil to do his will. They are not our enemies. Let's pray for them. And may God use us to help deliver them, set the captives free. Amen. Father, we thank you for your great love wherewith you loved us. Lord, we were just the same way at one point. We were sinners with reprobate minds doing our own thing. Uh, known, we didn't all measure up to the same level of wickedness as others, but we certainly were not righteous. I know I wasn't. But thank you, Lord, for your loving kindness and grace that reached down and opened our eyes to your truth. You caused us to see that the life we were living was not a good life, was not a life that would yield blessings and fulfillment. It was a lie of the devil designed to entice us into these dark practices which would eventually destroy our, us physically on earth and our souls eternally in hell. Give us grace, Lord, to love others who are unbelievers. Give us your agape love for them that we might pray for them, especially the gay community, Lord. I know you're working. I know there's a lot of gays who are getting saved. Praise your name. We ask you to conti continue to save them. And may we be used by you to do some of that work. We thank you, Lord. We ask all this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen.